0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the Star Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 69.
1: Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make himself. So. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk.
0: Movies and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, The Cloud. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Don. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Before we get to talk about The Cloud, I have a few things uh, that are out in the news uh, as we're recording this. So we want to talk about those first. Uh, but I also want to f- first ask you, as listener, if you can share the podcast with your friends, Your find your Trekkie friends, hold them down and download the subscribe to this podcast the secrets of star trek on their phones uh help them uh find us and uh, join this community of listeners we love to have we we keep getting more and more people joining this community of star trek fans and we really love that and so we want to you know spread the love and and uh and and have more people listening to the show so if you could do that we really appreciate it so let's get to some news headlines again as this is as we're recording uh we recently had a. a holiday in the United States, which is not really a holiday, but it's you know it's one of those mm. things where we someone passes a resolution and uh, some politician does and it marks a date. Uh, it was Constitution Day, which is the anniversary of the day that the United States Constitution was finally ratified. Which now I am trying to remember the exact day, but I think it was September nineteenth. Uh, it was somewhere in the mid September. But what makes it significant for Star Trek fans is that it was also the same day was the anniversary of, of nineteen seventy five seventy six. Sorry. That the space shuttle Enterprise was unveiled by NASA, and most Trek fans know the story that the the Trekkies uh, petitioned and organized and 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 got NASA to name the shuttle after the Starship Enterprise. In that period of time between the series ending and the movies, there was no Trek, and so everyone felt like the and first other space than animated, uh, other than animated, right? And the animated, I right. think, it was done by that point too. So, mm-hmm. uh, th- so, but there's more to the story.
2: Everybody, everybody knows that that image of uh, the the video of where you know um, Leonard Nimoy was there. Nimoy, J.K., and-
0: yeah. Forrest uh, um, Kelly, Kelly, Kelly and uh, James Doohan. Hmm. Yeah,
2: they were they were all, all there, at, the there at, at at this big event. You know, NASA kind of played that story up, but you're saying there was more.
0: Yes, so it was the the connection to Constitution Day is that the, the space shuttle was originally going to be called Constitution. Uh but because NASA wanted to promote the idea of international cooperation and all those other you know, all all this other um elements that, that they wanted to make this a human endeavor into space as opposed to an American endeavor. We, we were trying mm-hmm. to expand this to a, a more human act- activity. They felt like some politicians and, and government officials felt like Constitution was too American, but that enterprise uh, was a hopeful word, and a more mm-hmm. broad-based, and doesn't hurt that it gets a very large proportion of people who are space-oriented in the populace, taxpayer, <laughs> mm-hmm. voter populace, uh, to to support it as well. And I'm going to guess that, in fact, I've heard that NASA was full of Star Trek fans. There was so many oh, I'm sure. Trekkies there. Uh, but th- this article, which I'll link in the show notes, it was very interesting because it includes some stuff I didn't know before, like the fact that the phrase "to go where no man has gone before" originated from Dwight D. Eisenhower's presidency. When he was president, he used that phrase when mm-hmm. talking about our future efforts at space exploration, hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I've um, never heard that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a, so it's very interesting, and, and there was some talk in it that maybe um, the Star Trek influence wasn't as great as some people thought. That maybe President Ford. Uh, liked the name because of the aircraft carriers named Enterprise that mm-hmm. uh, were very famous, and uh, you know at the time the USS Enterprise aircraft carrier was the first nuclear powered carrier. It was a symbol of American uh, military industrial complex might and all that sort of stuff. So, so there's some, there's some factors.
1: Then there's another phrase that goes to the Eisenhower administration: military industrial complex.
0: He <laughs> capitalized right. that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I, I, Warning totally us about totally unconsciously. It. Yeah. So that was I thought it was interesting. I'll put the link in the show notes. You can read more about that uh, for, at Real Clear Politics. Uh, so the other another bit of news. Uh, this is sad news for Trek fans, and you're probably hearing this a few weeks after we've recorded this, so you you might already know this. But Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog on Deep Space Nine, uh, has passed mm-hmm. away this past weekend. As we're recording, uh, he was 50 yep. years old. He did uh, life. He had lifelong uh, health problems, chronic health problems. He had some mm-hmm. kidney issues, apparently. And uh, we don't have a, you know, there's, there's not an official statement on what, what his death, but uh, it's probably related to his, his ongoing health issues in his life. He was 50 years old. I found that surprising yeah. uh, because that meant that when they were filming, you know, with where Nog and Jake were supposed to be early teens, but, mm-hmm. but Aaron Eisenberg was, was in his twenties, mid twenties,
2: early to mid twenties. Cause he's yeah. seven, he he was seven years older than me. And I was senior year in high school when DS9 first season came out.
0: Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah,
2: he would have been college age, if not into, you know, mid 20s by that point.
0: Interesting. Fascinating.
2: I know the character, Dr. Bashir,
1: was my age because they had an episode where he was turning 30 when I was turning 30.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's very weird to go back and look at these things and see how young everybody was and realize, oh, they were older than i am or they were it, younger it, than than i was or except Rene
2: Aver- averjson i don't think he was he's ever been young, young. even when yeah. he was on benson he wasn't yeah, it's young yeah soap
0: yeah
1: <laughs> oh i remember from before benson when he was guest starring occasionally or when he guest starred on the bob newhart show in the 70s he yeah. was oh my he gosh, was yeah. mature then
0: <laughs> yeah and uh so so we we you know we uh, say a prayer for Aaron Eisenberg yes. you know, that he would rest in peace pray, pray for his family he's uh he was newly married he and his oh. wife were married um uh, a couple of years not ago not long ago and uh, in 2016 they were engaged and they got married in December uh, this past December and they apparently no. had um he had a couple of children they they he had mm. uh, two sons so mm-hmm. um, rest in peace so yep. yeah yeah uh, uh, Jimmy, you had s- some uh, Babylon 5 news following yeah, up from our... Yeah,
1: also, be- while we're still on Star Trek news, though, I ran across uh, some stories this weekend that indicated that two of the f- six upcoming short treks are going to be animated. Right. And so yeah. they may be springboards into the into one or both of the new animated series. Interesting. Um, right, so So uh, I was able to confirm that on some news websites, so it looks like that one's true. In terms of the Babylon 5 news, so I mentioned recently that I read uh, J. Michael Straczynski's book, Becoming Superman. It's his autobiography. And I mentioned at the time that, and it focuses a lot on his upbringing and his family. He's the creator of Babylon 5. And I knew that he had kind of a rough upbringing, and I had no idea how rough. It's, I mean, as I said last time, there are actual war crimes involved. Not committed by him as a small child, but, right. <laughs> uh, but there are actual war crimes involved. Well, there were also some revelations about the history of the, of the Babylon 5 universe that fans have wondered about for a long time. One of them was the connection between uh, Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine. And I mentioned last time that based on evidence that has subsequently come to light, he thinks there was more deliberate copying than, mm. uh, than he previously had thought. Mm. Uh, previously, he had thought that maybe some of the higher-up suits kind of guided the Star Trek producers in the direction of what he had proposed for Babylon 5, but without them knowing it, that's what was happening. But he thinks it was more conscious. The other thing that I didn't mention last time is what happened to the show Crusade. This was the spinoff of Babylon 5. It was meant mm-hmm. to be another five-year show. Right. It ended up lasting half a season and was released. It was canceled before it was ever aired, and it was uh, just released as a miniseries. And what happened to abort that series has been a long-standing question for fans. J. Michael Straczynski, in recording the DVD commentary for it, Said he would only record it if he got to tell the story of what happened, and he did record it. And they didn't release the commentary,
0: Uh
1: and uh, (laughs) and then they came out with a a series of books called uh, that are script books of you know for all the Babylon Five scripts, and then they have done all the Crusade scripts. Uh, But they were releasing a book in this series or a set of books called Crusade: What the Hell Happened. And they only released the first volume, and no subsequent volumes have ever appeared. And it was indicated there was legal trouble or something that was preventing them Mm. from releasing these books. So there's been this big mystery. And in Becoming Superman, he talks about it. He says basically so originally, Babylon 5 was released on the Primetime Entertainment Network or P10. It was a show that was owned by uh, a network that was owned by Warner Brothers, but it was a syndication network. So you could like, Next gen, you could air this show on any kind of station that wanted to buy it. It didn't have to be in network. Mm -hmm. And P10 ended up folding after Babylon 5's fourth season. So they needed a new home for the fifth season. And TBS, the Turner Broadcasting System, picked them up. And so TBS picked them up. They made a new, they made the fifth season. They made several TV movies for TBS. And then TBS commissioned Crusade. And as they were filming Crusade, TBS got the results of some internal marketing studies that showed their fans, who their existing audience base, and the Babylon 5 fans were two different groups. So mm. what would happen is the Babylon 5 fans would tune in to TBS to watch Babylon 5 and nothing else. They didn't stay to watch anything else on TBS. Right. Meanwhile, the TBS fans would tune away when Babylon 5 was on the air and only come back when it was not on the air. And so they weren't building their audience, and they didn't view this as financially desirable to just swap these audiences this way. They wanted to grow their audience like any television network. But by this point, they had already financially committed to this season of of Crusade. And so how are they going to get out of this? Well, the only way they could think to do it was to contractually was to argue that Strazinsky's production house was not giving them the series they were asking for, because then they could say, okay, you're in violation of contract, so we're canceling the series, and we'll move on. And so to argue successfully that Strazinsky was not giving them the show they wanted, they started to make deliberately unreasonable demands and that they knew so they could box Straczynski into not going along with the demands. And then that would give them the legal pretext they needed to cancel the show and cut their financial losses mid-production. And Straczynski says that in his book that this was later explained to him after the fact by an executive who had worked there and that, yes, these were not – as everybody recognized, these were unreasonable demands. That was the point. (laughs) What a shock.
0: Yes. uh, TV executives acting badly. <laughs> yeah. So that's Straczynski's
1: story anyway. That's his story yeah. and he's sticking to it. No. I,
0: I remember, uh, you know, that when Crusade came out, wanting to watch it and not being able to because could not find
2: it, <laughs> you mm. know, in syndication.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, just one of those. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough time. I can imagine, I, I imagine what it would be like today, you know, where all these streaming networks constantly need content. It would be a different yeah. story you know that these sorts of things would would survive where you know perhaps where they didn't mm-hmm.
2: then we already we already see things like arrested development where they get canceled by their primary network and then someplace like netflix picks them up for another season or two right you know so we're, we're seeing stuff like that happen where shows that people like are being picked up you yeah know?
0: i so, wonder if yeah. we'd be better off if they didn't in I never watched this.
2: i don't know if it's good yeah. but <laughs> it just it does happen.
1: I tried a couple a few episodes of Arrested Development. Um, I'd heard that it really pays off later on as mm-hmm. um, you know, uh as the as the storyline in the comedy builds, that it really gets very sophisticated and there are incredible wow comedy connections in it later. But in watching the first few episodes, I said, Ugh, there's there's too much <laughs> going on here that is not part of my worldview.
0: Right, right. <laughs> Well, in a, something related to Trek, you know, a similar example is the Orville, which is moving from Fox to Hulu. Oh, which is mm. interesting. Yeah, it' a little disappointing because it means that it's got it's going to have a sectioned off audience now. You have to mm-hmm. now go seek it out. Yet, that might be more difficult. Uh, yet another paywall, but right. And I've heard varying reasons why. One of them is uh, Fox once again doesn't get sci fi, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Firefly. Uh, yeah, it, so that hasn't changed much, but also that, um, that gives the Orville a little bit freer hand or it gives the, 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 the writers a freer hand, uh, to, well, in streaming than they do on, on broadcast television, which I don't think is actually a good thing in the long run, yeah. given, uh, what's his name's proclivities. We, we had talked about how Seth MacFarlane
2: basically wanted to do Star Trek and Fox wanted a comedy. So he promoted it as a Star Trek-like comedy, right. but he, of course, over the this two seasons so far, has moved it away from the comedy. It's much, much, much less comedic in the yeah. second season than it is in the that's first. there's still It's still there, because it's still Seth MacFarlane. He still can't help having bodily humor jokes in his shows. That's just, that's who he is.
0: Right, hmm. right.
2: But but it's not what Fox wanted, and it's kind of getting, I, I think, I, I just my, my thinking too is I wonder if he saw the writing on the wall that if. Maybe he got a kind of an ultimatum from Fox: is no, we wanted a comedy, not Star Trek. Right, you're giving mm-hmm. a Star Trek, not a comedy.
0: Now, of course, this is all still in the same family now because Fox is part of Disney, and uh, Hulu is owned by Disney, so it's it's moving within the everything Disney. Everything yeah. is owned by Disney now. Yeah, everything is owned by Disney. So. <laughs> So anyway, it,
1: it's interest, it's interesting uh it, to tie it back into Babylon 5 when if you you know, as people will know, Babylon 5 is about this great war in space. It doesn't break out until the second season, but it's mm-hmm. you know, it's this war and how it affects empires and empires rise and fall and stuff like that. And if you go back and read the original writers bible for and series pitch for Babylon 5 that they showed network suits uh they explained the show as it's the united nations in space its purpose is to prevent war so there's always this looming threat of war that they're avoiding that the, that and the war never actually breaks out and this was <laughs> Oops. this was to assure the suits this is not a show about a war in space it's about the opposite it's about preventing war to make it seem like friendlier you know, to uh, <laughs> right. to the network executives, <laughs> but Straczynski knew full well this is about a war, and <laughs> and it just reminds me every time I think of that of uh, Commander Sinclair's line in the pilot episode: "Everybody lies."
0: <laughs> and <it's laughs> Certainly, mm. that happens in Hollywood. All right, so let's. uh as you might guess, the the, the we t- our our title for this episode is about the Voyager episode, of the Cloud. And, and all, the discussion,
1: all the discussion to this point shows you how interested we are in that <laughs> yeah. episode.
0: Yes. Well, we should still talk about it. <laughs> when, when, I, when
2: I think of the title, The Cloud, all I can think of is, is Toy Story. You get the aliens in that, the little uh, the game game. Oh, she- The Claw. The Claw. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Cloud. the Claw. The cloud.
1: I, I keep flashing on uh, Get Smart um, and one of his villains, The Claw. The Claw. The yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> So uh, this Voyager episode. So we're still first season. Which uh, st- they're still fleshing out these characters, and and there's a there's a huge part of that. Uh, I-, I should say right in the beginning, some of the producers were just as unhappy with this story as we are mm-hmm. from the from the beginning. They thought it was a big mess and a troubled script right from the beginning.
1: We recently did an episode of Deep Space Nine, which I criticized for its it's doing so much world building, it's doing so much telling us about these characters that the plot never gels. And you've got all these different subplots happening, and you don't have the classic A story with a B story where you get to drill down into both stories Mm -hmm. and really bond with them emotionally. We have the same exact problem here. The A story is about this nebula that they meet. Yet another cloud in space.
0: Which we've we've had like two or three of already in this series.
1: And and so it, that's the A story. They meet this cloud, and it's really simple. Basically, the plot is they enter a cloud, special effects happen, they use Technobabble to injure the cloud, then they realize it's a being, so they use Technobabble to heal the cloud, and more special <laughs> effects happen, yep. along with right. the classic Voyager ending of people talking dramatically in front of consoles as the climax. Yep. Right. And, but then we have all these little bitty side plots. We've got this Janeway and, and, uh, Chakotay, let's do peyote and get spiritual plot. <laughs> we have Tom and Harry doing hijinks on the holodeck. We've got Neelix and Cass having drama, and it's just all over the place.
0: Right. Let's talk about some of the, um, the <laughs> delve into some of these bits, uh, just to, be, you know, to to kind of flesh it out a little, and like you said, this is yet another cloud thing that they encounter in space, and it's also another trope that they they fall back to, which is a big space thing that turns out to be a form of life we've never yep. encountered before, and that's what we're doing. I mean, it was a very obvious you know plot device here. We we start with more of this adapting to life in the Delta Quadrant. The uh, I so I have to confess. This scene between the captain and Neelix where she's trying to get her morning coffee and Neelix mm-hmm. shames her into drinking the sludge that he's made as a coffee substitute uh, so, because she should set an example for the crew instead of using one of her rations, uh, you know, her replicator rations. I, 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 have, I have this recollection of re- recently just seeing this, and I think, I'm not sure wh- where I saw it, but, I, but I'm looking at this and I, it was just so uncomfortable this yeah. this yeah this interaction between neelix and the captain especially when he's complimenting her and how she looks today and her I mean, lipstick no, it's, it's like he's
2: putting well, the moves on her in the kitchen well he, so really, much of the dialogue in this episode was just uncomfortable
0: yeah yes, lots of it right there's uh, there's, uh this bit of dialogue between kim and paris and the captain about the proper emotional distance between captains and their subordinates. That's a, that's actually a, a key plot point here for some reason, which doesn't actually pay off. Well, I have to say one thing about about Neelix and the captain encounter in the kitchen. The, the Neelix's kitchen set is actually, I have to say, is always pretty clever, like all the things going yep. on. Some set designer, some set dresser has had a lot of fun putting this together i mean you, things bubbling and yeah. burning and fire <laughs> it's, something's uh, it's always something's always point.
2: happening and they, they're, they're obviously they had a lot of fun putting every, you know, every episode figuring out what was going to be going on in neelix's kitchen
0: yes yeah
1: yes. The, the the downside of that is they have to use or at least with their budget they have to use earth-based plants for everything mm-hmm. that's supposed to be exotic Yes. And so they've clearly gone to an exotic California supermarket and picked up, you know, various items. And <laughs> right. as someone living in California, it's like, oh, I know exactly what that is. I see that at the supermarket all the time. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, it's like you'll have these exotic flowers and you can clearly see they're like, you know, dyed lilies or something like that. You <laughs> right, know?
0: Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um So the 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 as you say, Jimmy, the plot device is they detect this nebula and it has omicron particles which they can harvest to restore their depleted energy reserves i don't know how i don't think anybody has thought about what this means well that's yet yet another another
2: trope for this season is they're always low on resources and thanks be to god after the first season they get over that um right
0: because it's like every
2: other episode is like oh we need to harvest more resources we've lost more resources than we actually harvested
0: yes Uh, yeah well and the Th- that bugs me throughout this episode, because all of this talk about, you know, we're low on resources, and and then they go and replicate stuff that's not... I know. Like, like, for example, if you're low on energy, why is Tom Paris running the holodeck exactly. on yes. a constant basis with this complicated Paris cafe bar thing? I mean, come on. <laughs> that was just... Like, I'm sitting there, and uh, even as a kid or a young adult watching yeah. this, I'm thinking... If you're low on energy, why are you running that? You like, it's just doesn't Holodex. make any sense.
2: Or, yeah. or you turn them into the old fashioned entertainment of like you know a basketball court or something.
0: Right, right. Like, and they're drinking you know holiday champagne and stuff. Like, why not drink holiday coffee then? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then there's this sense that somehow it's not re- like Paris makes this comment that oh, go ahead and drink the champagne. It's it's only holiday champagne. Is it just force fields that you're drinking? Like what makes it not like, like the other replicated stuff?
1: I, I, I guess the implication from that is that it is that it's, you'll have the experience of, of it going down your throat, but then that's it. You're not going to digest it.
0: (laughs) That would be really weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It (laughs)
1: just kind of
2: disappears about halfway down your throat. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that would be, yeah, I I don't, I I don't want that. (laughs) Then, then again, they can, holographically create lungs inside someone inside the mm-hmm. closed chest cavity mm. so apparently they can also create food and drink that actually will go down at least to your stomach <laughs> and then disappear
0: so and as jimmy mentioned we have this scene where chakotay and uh uh the, the captain have this uh, discussion about chakotay's native american traditions which becomes a ongoing thread in the show which i i would love to hear from native americans on what they think about this because it seems pretty synchristic, like where we, you know he is just Native American, as if all Native Americans are the same. Well, they and I, and they, I, they
1: do later establish more about his heritage that he's mm-hmm. apparently a descendant of a tribe that I gather is fictional, called the Rubber Tree People, that is from Central America. Right. Right. Um, so they do pin it down a little more, but not initially. Father, you were going to say something.
2: I was going to say because as far as I know, um, in what little i've worked with and and studied native american religions at least up in this area up in northern northern united states that's not a part of their religion at all Mm -hmm. Um, they have the idea of you know uh vision not can't say vision quest per se but you know like the uh the, the the sun sun dance and things like that where it's they they have visions and that's a part of the whole experience but as far as having you know an animal that guides you like Kind of like what we would consider, you know, a guardian angel animal. I don't think that's a part of
0: any tribe up here that I've ever heard of. Mm -hmm. Well, and the idea that just anyone could pick one up, like you're not Native American, you don't follow their beliefs, but, you know, as long as you touch the magical peyote substitute machine that they've Mm -hmm. developed with technology, uh, you get to encounter a spirit animal of your own, which, you know, weird lizard.
1: I I so I wanted to talk a, a a bit about the spirit animal thing because it's one of the most interesting things in this episode. But it, mm-hmm. I think it's also one of the worst handled things in yeah. this episode. We have Janeway and 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 Chakotay are on the bridge, and they're dealing with this nebula thing. And out of nowhere, Chakotay turns to Janeway and says, "We talk to animals." <laughs> yeah, and it's like who is we here? Right. Um, You know, as she intuits, he means his, his culture does. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she realizes that she is like all over, so fascinated, you know? Right. And we have this amazingly, I'm incredibly open to this dialogue, which is on the one hand, I like, I, I don't like the way they executed it, but I like the fact that she's open to this. Yeah. Because it does show, in keeping with Star Trek principles, it does show respect for another culture's beliefs, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, including spiritual ones. I also like it because it shows openness to the concept of religion in a way we haven't typically gotten on Star Trek up to this point. I mean, after the original series,
0: apart from DS9.
1: Yeah, but this is more like next-gen style storytelling, and we haven't gotten openness to religion in that. Yep. And so I like all that, but then I try to think, okay, what does this say about Janeway uh, and, and her beliefs? Because she's not just respectful of another person's religion. She's, like, becoming an active participant. Now, that to me says that she, number one, doesn't have a strong faith of her own because me as a Catholic, I was like, okay if you've got a guardian, whatever that you talk to, that's your business. I'm respectful of you. But I have my own guardian angel already. Thank you. And I'll stick with that. Um, Right. And I'm certainly not going to be opening myself up to oh, great, whatever. Is there a powerful spirit willing to embrace Jimmy? And it's like, no, shut down the Ouija board right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We are
1: not opening ourselves to being embraced by new spirits. I'll take the ones God has given me. Thank you. (laughs) So Janeway has apparently no firm belief system of her own, or she wouldn't be instantly receptive to participating in somebody else's. And part of what I don't like about this is there's this trope of certain cultures as being more spiritual and wise than others. Right. And this plays into that trope. It's like if this was anybody else, if if like if Chicote wasn't a representative of a Native American culture, if he was like a New Age crystal person and says, oh yeah, I've got a spirit animal and I just, you know, came from the New Age Crystal shop, Janeway would not be like, oh, I want one too. Right, you know, it's because of the perception of Native American spirituality as automatically wise and superior to Jane Way's European background that uh, she is meant to find this interesting. And that actually produces reactions in Native American communities that are negative. Because they see this kind of thing, rightly so, as a kind of spiritual tourism. Yes. Where you have people who aren't part of their culture and aren't seriously committed to their beliefs wanting to participate in rituals and things like that just because these people feel it's exotic. And it would be like somebody who's a spiritual tourist wanting to get baptized, you know, Mm -hmm, from a Christian perspective. It's like, no, you've got to be serious about this (laughs) or receive communion. Yeah. And so so I thought this was it makes Janeway look like a spiritual tourist. And it what does it then say about Chakotay? Because he's apparently been evangelizing these animal guides all over the crew. I mean, Balana's already Torres, tried yeah. to kill hers. <laughs> and now he's sharing it with the captain and he's showing them this medicine bundle that is he says he's never shown anyone before. I don't know why you didn't show it to Balana. Um right. and you have all this build up to Janeway getting her spirit animal and then it's a gecko and it doesn't even guide her I mean she's interrupted before she can ask it any questions and (laughs) it's like well why do you have a
0: spirit guide if it's not going to do any guiding it would have told her to buy Geico auto insurance for her car (laughs) exactly
1: So uh, I think yeah. I think that's basically what I had to say about that. But uh, one side note, recently and totally unrelated to this episode, I got an email from a colleague at work who told me that he had met a a, a gentleman at, who's a parent of a child at a local Catholic school, and the parent told him that he was a big Jimmy Aiken fan and that Jimmy Aiken was his spirit animal. So <laughs> I've never been anybody's <laughs> spirit animal before, but I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> That, uh, so many jokes. Okay, so <laughs> let's move on. Uh, so I, I think I want to concentrate on this one on a, some of the character moments and some of the funny bits, uh, inconsistencies, mm-hmm. as opposed to the plot, because Jimmy, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, uh, there's a moment on the bridge where, where J- Kim s- expresses, oh, wow, that's, I've never seen anything like that before. And Tuvok chastises him right. and says, senior officers should not show their inexperience to the junior officers. And I'm thinking, a, uh, wasn't Kim just commissioned before this ship took he off? Is he is a junior he, he's officer. A, he's a junior to get. And who are the
1: junior officers on the bridge? I mean, they're all. Everybody <laughs> right. here is ensign, and ranking and up. So you're yeah. all officers. We don't have any NCOs here.
0: Right. Well, and then you know, since when are Starfleet officers not allowed to c- express wonder at something new? You're in a wholly new part of the galaxy. Of course, you're going to see new things. Oh, you know, I have to pretend I've seen all this before.
2: I do like the way they turn that back on Tuvok though, where he yeah. has, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically is I have no, no un- experience or, and yes. Kim immediately calls him on it. So in other words, you've never seen that before either. Yeah. <laughs> right, and, and, right. And then he adds, don't worry, I won't tell the junior officers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, that was clever though, where they kind of turned it back on him. Cause yeah. It, yeah. You know, in, in my, my opinion, I mean, again, having been in the military, there's, there's a, a need for, you know, correction, but to just directly correct somebody who's not a direct report of yours. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. You
2: know, right. That 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 can cause trouble. Let's just put it that yes. way. Yeah. I, th- I did think it was one of
1: the best bits in the episode, though. That was genuinely funny when Kim yep. burns the, burns Tuvok. Yes, yep, Tuvok exactly. did deserve
0: to be burned on that one. <laughs> uh, the, so one of the things that drove me crazy through this episode was the, was the distances as they talked about them. We're yes. going to travel 12,000 kilometers on thrusters alone in What, weeks? No, no, just a couple seconds. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So can't use warp power, can't use impulse engines, so we're going to use the old-fashioned reaction thrusters to move 5,000 kilometers in three seconds. (laughs) I wish we had that technology. Or uh, later on, they're talking about the Enterprise, uh, the Enterprise, sorry, the Voyager is sitting in the wound gap of this creature, uh, and Tuvok says, m the, the uh, approaching matter is thirty kilometers away and the special effects guys have evidently didn't get the script yeah. in time and yeah. it's like literally a hundred couple hundred feet from the back of the ship like the, the yep. it's literally bridging the gap it just it, it was kind of driving me crazy throughout and i know it's not the most important thing ever but like gotta get those things right like yeah
1: well and another thing in that same special effects shot they're using these beams of Nucleonic radiation, and I'm going. Really, you're firing protons and neutrons at it to heal it, right? Okay, because that's what nucleonic radiation would be—radiation consisting of nucleons, which are protons and neutrons. Yeah. Um, but they so they're firing these beams of of uh, of protons and neutrons at the cloud's wound, and Janeway says send one of them out of the fore and one of them out of the aft and align them with the axis of the ship. And then when they show it, there's a beam coming out of the front and the back, but they're, like, at 45-degree angles. They're not aligned with the axis of the ship. So,
0: again, the right. special effects
1: guys didn't seem to get the script in time or something.
0: <laughs> right, right. They were like, I, "That that's all stupid. We're going to do what we want. <laughs> and they yeah. can't say anything. Uh, so uh, the other thing that really b- bugged me about this episode was Neelix, more so than usual. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, I like Neelix later on in this in, in small doses. But in this one, he is really erratic. Yeah, so, whiny.
2: Yeah.
0: So the first, the first time that they go into the nebula, Neelix is in the the mess hall with Cass, and he gets he gets angry. He's mm-hmm. ranting about Janeway mm-hmm. taking the ship into the nebula and calls the crew idiots for yeah. going into harm's way.
1: These people are natural born idiots, if you ask me, is what he yeah. says.
0: Uh, and like, okay, that just seems excessively harsh. And then we transition quickly to this really uncomfortable kissing scene between Neelix and Cass. Like she yeah. finds the nebula romantic or something. And we're like, oh, this is cringy, very cringy. We, we,
1: sh- we should note that she takes the initiative in the kissing. It's not Neelix forcing himself on
2: her.
0: Yeah, no. I think she's trying to calm him down or yeah, she likes exactly. it when he's, when he's all revved up or something. I don't know. You know, I, I, did,
2: I did like the scene, though, between Neelix and Jane where she basically dresses him down and says, dismissed, and he's standing there and it's like, I'm sorry, that's Starfleet for get
0: out. (laughs) Right. Neelix comes into her office acting like a crazy person and a prima donna about the ship going back into the nebulator, and he wants her to leave him and Kes off the ship in his little ship until they're done. And she's like, yeah, when we're finished, if you want to leave, that's your business. But for the moment, find yourself a seat with a good view because just like Jonah and the whale, you're going in. Yeah, exactly. I did like that line, just like Jonah and the whale, you're going in. (laughs) Yeah, That was a good one. But, yeah, I I mean, Neelix is tough to take on, you know, in the early seasons on a good day. But yeah. in this episode, it was just he was he was out of control. It was just really. Uh, very, it, was, it was just such a
2: weird choice for how they they played him in this one. It, I, yeah. I mean, I can yeah. understand, you know, being someone who not familiar with the way Starfleet does things, which is to rush into everything as quick as possible to check everything out. but. I mean, he was just whiny and belligerent and just, yeah. And
1: and then he goes down into, in the middle of a crisis that is a very brief duration. He makes yeah. tons of food without a replicator, apparently. <laughs> right. And brings it up to the bridge and proclaims himself morale officer. So he's just done a caterpillar to butterfly transformation off screen in a couple of minutes. Yeah, well, exactly. apparently
0: that 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 Jamie dressing down, uh, you know, straightened him up. He's flying right, and he's he's with the program now. Uh, apparently, it was a yeah. It's very erratic, very weird, poor, uh, and and it's I mean, it's not it's not the character we're saying. It's just the writing was poorly written. I mean, I just well, have to say and, it. And
2: like you said, this was, like you said, Jimmy, this was an episode where they tried to cram so much character development that there was no plot, and mm-hmm. they are just more concerned about the character development. And you wonder if some of this would have been better spread over two or three episodes that had actual right. stories that had actual right. stories. Because they could have fleshed this out with this this nebula and the reaction of Voyager going into it and the, you know, the the wound and everything. Oh, no, that was just kind of an afterthought.
0: Well, apparently when they were writing this, they had the story of the nebula and they're like, OK, that's not enough script. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. let's throw a bunch of stuff in to fill it out. Yeah. That's literally what happened,
2: and that literally shows when you're talking about the whole the whole conversation on the bridge for three minutes about Chakotay and his animal spirit and all that. <laughs> right. It literally was just like, okay, we're approaching this nebula. So tell me about your animal spirit.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. no, it's just so out of nowhere. We get some time uh, now.
2: <laughs> you know, the, the same thing with with Neelix deciding he's now the morale officer. Oh, we're approaching the nebula. Oh, here's some food. <laughs> yeah. What? <right. laughs>
1: I think part of this may have been a reaction to Star Trek, the motion picture, where they, which is famously bad in, in some respects, because you have the Enterprise entering the V'ger cloud. And for scene after scene, we're watching nothing but special effects. Right. And I even have in my note and, and, and shots of the crew reacting to what they're seeing on the view screen. Right. And we and so this is this episode is a bottle episode. They never get out of the ship. It's all filmed on the standing sets. And it's again the same thing of the main plot of this is they're experiencing a bunch of special effects on the view screen. So this episode is like watching people watching television.
0: Yes. <laughs> right.
1: And it's a plot and so they need to do something to avoid a replication of, wow, that episode was so Star Trek the motion picture, they're just flying through a cloud and special effects happen and there are plot complications. Um, That would have been a better
2: episode. Oh, well, (laughs) that's
1: why they then do this, but they throw in all this extra stuff. But it's yet another episode where the solution is talking dramatically over consoles Mm -hmm. and they have to punch through some kind of barrier. I noticed that right. was so first season on Voyager. They're always getting out of things by punching through barriers.
0: Right. And, and again, it's, it's not just, just punching through one. barriers.
1: It's punching
2: through some kind of <laughs> some barrier. Some kind
0: of barrier, right. I it's think there was like three of some,
2: kind of. some kind ofs in this episode at least.
0: Yeah. So there's also another uh, element from the supercuts. Remember we talked about that supercut video of the some kind ofs throughout all of mm-hmm. Voyager. Uh, we also have our first instance of a count. Of the photon torpedoes. Yeah. Chakotay yes. says, we have 38 photon torpedoes. And JW says, we have no way to replace those when they're gone. Yeah. Which and I think that the Supercut they was something like 50
2: or something like that by the time no, it was no. done, wasn't it? I like can't remember the
0: 300.
2: number. 300. 300. Like
0: oh. It's, it's in the hundreds that yeah. they end up having through after the uh, after all seven seasons. I, uh, I, liked, I
1: liked the so normally on on this show, because they're away from Federation resupply bases, they, you know, the, a bunch of the resource stuff makes sense. Uh, the resource limitations make sense. Uh, they should encounter resource problems on this show. They should mm-hmm. be finding ways to deal with that. But normally the writers are so lazy that the only reference we ever get is replicator rations. That's the only evidence yeah, right. that they have limited resources must much of the time. And then they betray that by letting Tom Paris run his elaborate holodeck scenarios. Mm-hmm. Right. In the same way, I, I want to give him points for realizing early on where you have a limited number of photon torpedoes and no way to replace them. And right. so good for establishing that, but then bad for the execution of letting it run into the hundreds by the end of the
0: show. Mm-hmm. They should have had a whiteboard in the writer's room with, it says, photon torpedoes and a count. And every yeah. time they've shot one...
2: And Mark it, off.
0: it off. And the same thing with shuttles.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just yep. say that. Well, instead, so instead they let Tom Paris completely build a brand new shuttle out of uh, apparently hopes and wishes. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. A better shuttle. <laughs> a better yes, shuttle. The, the Which, Delta don't get me wrong. Flyer. I like the Delta Flyer. I thought it was an yes. awesome shuttle, but he kind of built it out of nowhere. Now, there yes, was one character to- we haven't talked about yet, and that's the Doctor. I like the Doctor in this. Uh-huh. He yes. He's oh. just mean. I mean, it's great. One of my favorite bits with him in this episode, so
1: there, for me, there were kind of two favorite Doctor moments. Um, one is where he's being a little snarky and Janeway mm-hmm. mutes the audio on him. Yes, and so yes. he's like, we see him in the background on the view screen, roll, you know, kind of rolling his eyes and walking around and finally waving his arms to get their attention again. And yes. I, I really like that. I also like the bit where... Um, when he's turned on and he says, please state the nature of the medical emergency, Balana asks him, why does he always say that? And he says, well, I can only speculate about my programmer's intentions. Well, why don't you change it? Ooh, a hologram that could reprogram itself. What would I do with that ability? Create a
2: family? Raise an army? Yeah. Of <laughs> <laughs> course, was the doctor due? he raises a family he yeah, uh, the, makes art becomes an artist a singer so he actually does that yeah <laughs> well that's that the thing. raise an army part though
0: yeah yes <laughs> he, although he almost becomes leader of a planet but that's a that's a future yeah. episode uh well i i really like that they introduce the, the idea that he was um the whole dr zimmerman thing yeah, that that interesting funny repartee with balana and he says yeah. oh you'll you'll find uh, uh dr zimmerman at the jupiter station uh, he looks a lot like me. And, you know, you can thank him for my personality or, or however. Yeah, it exactly. Hmm. Uh, and we get to see Zimmerman later.
1: By the way, in favor of the doctor's standard greeting, I had some experience once calling a local 911 because of an emergency mm-hmm. that happened. And I was amazed that 911 didn't have the equivalent of please state the nature of the medical emergency. Hmm. I had to find a way to get the needed information to them on my own. They were not like really set up. It's, it's surprisingly, right. they were not set up to do, immediately ask the nature of what's happening.
0: Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, when I've called everyone, it's been nine one one, what's your emergency? Yeah. yeah. So that, that would be reasonable. reasonable. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting that they didn't Yeah, have I've that. only
2: called nine one a couple of times and that's usually what I hear too is I'm like nine one one, what's the emergency? So
0: Yeah. Um so Another cringy character moment: Kim and Paris on their way to the holodeck in the middle of the night, and Kim tells Paris that he remembers being in his mother's womb. And yeah. I'm thinking, why are we being told this? This is a weird, weird moment. I,
2: I'll, I'll say, I'll say though, Robert Robert Duncan McNeil played that perfectly. Where he, <laughs> you could see the cringe on his face when he said yeah. it. When, well, when Kim said I, it, I, it's like, why am I having to hear this as part of my character?
0: <laughs> right yeah. he says uh, yeah nothing it, it, kim says what do you have to show me in the holodeck nothing that's got to compare to that memory of your mother's womb <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which that is, was a good uh, line yeah but but it was such a weird like th- line to throw in there like you've just made kim really weird like it's just it, yeah like,
1: it's also impossible it because our our, right. our our brains do not form memories that retain at that stage
0: Yeah, yeah, it's and it's also like, why would, yeah, uh, why would that be a comforting memory? Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I don't want to talk about that. I
1: was, I was wondering about, well, so on the flip side of that, Paris breaks into Kim's quarters while he's sleeping and then rags on him for wearing a slumber mask. Right. and i'm going what's the big i wear a slumber mask at least in the early morning hours when there's more ambient light and i want to go back to sleep mm-hmm. uh <laughs> they've got all kinds of ambient light in those quarters i could easily see someone <laughs> wanting to shut it out
0: well if they fly past a star or other bright spatial yeah. anomaly it'll yeah. shine right in those windows which don't have shades and they've got exactly. all this
1: electronics in there i mean it's like right. it, it Look at a typical person's bedroom these days. You may not, as an adult, want a nightlight, but you've probably got little light sources in your room anyway from all these indicator lights on your electronics. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, not alarm so, clocks and everything else, yeah.
0: So Kim says, it's because his roommate in you know, the academy would study algorithms until dawn. I'm not even sure what that means, studying algorithms until dawn. But uh, And then he says, well, I, I didn't change roommates because he got me through fourth year quantum chemistry. And that got me thinking, I would love somebody to go through all of the Star Trek episodes, because you know, this is what Trekkies do, (laughs) and compile the curriculum for Starfleet Academy, because uh, they have the weirdest courses, like, I mean, quantum chemistry, that's, that's, but like, oh, didn't you, everyone has to take, you know, 23rd century politics of the Dalton quadrant, like, or Dalton, you know, sector or something, like, like these very bizarre esoteric courses, and, and Temporal Over mechanics time, and you.
2: Do, I mean,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over time, there's like this is. I, I bet you could compile what the, the the list of of courses that they've had to take, and it, I, it would be very amusing to me. But I,
2: if it's not out there, there's a call to our listeners. We we, we need this. Mm-hmm. We need this needs to be a Wikipedia entry.
0: Yes, or the Memory Alpha, the tar- Memory the, Alpha. Uh, there you go, Memory Alpha Wiki. Um, the, yes, Trekkies, yeah, uh, unite, <laughs> <laughs> or Trekkies assemble. I'm crossing the streams there. Uh, So
1: I I have the feeling it would end up being something like the curriculum of Greendale Community College (laughs) from community. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but it's it's like they have a course called ladders.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So uh, the episode ends with um, Kim bringing Captain Janeway to Shea Sandrine. That's the uh, the Paris's holiday program. Uh, where all, everyone else apparently is here, the rest of the senior crew and a bunch of junior officers, and uh, Janeway, of course, turns out to be a pool hustler. You know, of oh, course, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 all that. So, um, nothing very interesting in Sandreads, San frankly. Uh, it just, it's <sighs> except except
1: all these Tom Paris marmy characters who,
0: yeah. I insight guess, into psychology. Yeah,
1: yeah, I guess uh, they think that this is supposed to be fun to watch these smarmy characters and i don't know
0: uh, you know i have to say it's very uncomfortable thinking about paris making out with a hologram mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's the, as a as a cultural or so, so, social activity like it that's not just watching a movie or watching a show that's kind of participating it's exactly. weird is it not yeah. weird
1: Yeah, Uh, I totally agree with Futurama. The space pope says, don't
0: date robots. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And that includes holograms, even though they're not really robots. But yes, Uh, yeah, it was it's a very it 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 strikes me as morally, potentially morally problematic. Let's just say that you could
1: strike the word potentially. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. right, right. Yeah, I'll I'll strike that. I'm, I'm hedging my bets on that. So um I've, I'm I'm run out of things to say about this episode. Do you guys have anything left to say about this? We no. talk
2: to animals. <laughs> 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 I do too. They usually don't respond. they they kind of tilt their head, look at you, like, "Are you gonna pet me or not?"
0: Yeah. So <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, uh, it's gonna turn into a Disney uh, animated movie it, with Captain Janway as Snow White. So <laughs> before we finish it, I do want we do have some feedback. I want to bring bring that up um, on our episode uh, number sixty six. We talked about the search for Spock john co writes on facebook uh he corrects me mark lenard's first on-screen appearance since journey to Babel was in the motion picture where he was the klingon captain killed at the beginning not search for spock so thank you for that john i forgot about that yeah Mm. Yeah, i did i obviously i did do yeah so uh i I appreciate that correction uh trek fans are not if nothing uh they're nothing if not very particular about the details yes yeah uh And then on episode 65, where we discussed uh, The Enemy Within, the original series episode, uh, Kathy S. commented on YouTube, said, "Uh, I have to respectfully disagree with Jimmy Dom and Father Corey on your critique of the moral lesson of this episode. When Spock talks about every man needing both his good and evil side, the writers would not have meant it, I don't think, as an excuse for immorality or an excuse to tolerate immoral behavior in others. Fifty years ago, the idea of people like the American Psychologist William James, were still prevalent. James said something like, virtue destroying vice is not true heroism. Virtue triumphant with her foot upon the neck of vice, holding it down is the glory of humanity. Uh, And she says, I've really flubbed that quote, but the point was that here on earth, we're meant to continually fight the good fight against temptations and the more savage part of us, and that struggle is a permanent and maybe the best aspect of the human experience. And she adds parenthetically, in fact, it's the basis of pretty much all great stories. So Mm. what do you think? I mean,
2: it sounds like a good explanation of of you know the fighting against temptation and original sin and all that. But right. <laughs> so I, I would agree.
1: I would still totally take victory over prolonged struggle. Yeah. Right. So I recognize that that struggle is the essence of drama. Um, yes. And the reason we're programmed to like drama is because we will have to face dangerous situations in life. And so we need to mentally think through dramatic situations because we one day will encounter drama in real life. So we need to be prepared intellectually and emotionally to face such situations so we don't fall apart in them. That means we need to game them out in our heads ahead of time. And in order to get us to game them out in our heads ahead of time, we need to find them fun. And that's why we have an inbuilt, God-given instinct for play and fantasy and drama and fiction. To help us deal with real life struggles, but I would still, I would still take victory.
0: Right. I I think mm-hmm. when we're talking about like the the Spock extolling the evil side, I mean that's the question: is it's the negative uh, emotions, the negative elements? Yeah. I'm not sure that that's the same thing as the part of us that's that fights. I think the good the good part of us also fights.
1: Right. I I think in the episode they're ambiguous when they talk about people's evil or dark sides. Are we talking Aggression, or are we talking? Because uh, that's neutral, yeah, morally speaking. Or are we talking moral? And I think the episode is is unclear about that, um, right. which I think is part of the source of the issue. Because depending on how you classify these things, it will or won't be important to have the quote unquote negative side.
0: Okay. okay. Thank you, Kathy and John, yeah. for your comments. We really yeah, appreciate that hearing from you. Uh, So before we finish, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including Rob G., Devin W., Travis R., Rocco F., and Mitchell F., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, so that's it from us. What did you think of Voyager's episode of The Cloud? Did you like it better than we did? Did we miss anything? Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash You can also send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Terra Nova. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. I'm glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Akin, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, dismissed. It's a Starfleet expression for get out.